I've been around this church for quite a long time now. See a lot of old familiar faces. Some not familiar, but so I'm Ken Austin. I've been in the area from many years, retired from Covenant College back in, well, longer back than I care to tell. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 10. No, I said 10, 12. The bulletin says I'm going to speak on 2 Corinthians 12, but I got good news for you. I'm already going to speak on verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 12. So that's the, that's the theme. So if you look there, and you know, I kind of backed into this sermon. And what I mean by that, I started with a conclusion and figured, okay, now how did Paul get here? For he says that for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul uses five terms there. Weakness, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Now, I've got to take, take a little digression here. He says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content. That's not strong enough a word. Contentment is not, not the major emphasis here. Other translations, the King James, for example, says, I take pleasure. I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecution. Calamity. How can Paul say that? I take pleasure. And those five terms he uses, I think, covers the whole gamut of any kind of affliction that occurs to us. Why do we suffer? Because of the fall. And we suffer all kinds of things. Sometimes we reveal them to each other, and a lot of times we don't. Oh, yeah, when somebody's sick, yeah, well, that's out there. Pray for. But there's a lot of other things that are going on that we suffer. Things that we don't talk about. Problems within the family. Marital problems. I got a grandson who's a drug addict. And I'm not, you make it up, it's, it's out there. A lot of it we just don't talk about, but it's there. So, what do we do with all these things? 
What do we do with them? Let me tell you something. We're all going to suffer. It's the consequence of sin. So it's going to happen. And so the message is about, well, how do we handle this? How do we handle all these things? When something falls into your life, I know the lady out in Iowa and her husband. They got up one morning, and this is about a month ago. And he dropped dead from a heart attack. He was 62. Here is this thing falling into her life. Suddenly. It's what I call the existential moment. Existential, this means what is his. You're going to have existential moments. They're going to happen. And that lady went to bed that night. When she got up next morning, next morning husband was still going. Ah. The existential moment is going to hit you. It's going to change your life. How do we handle it? What do we do with it? Where was God? So Paul says, I take pleasure in these things. Let me give you a couple of verses that kind of support this. In Acts chapter 5, verse 40 and 41, the apostles had been out preaching. And the council had gotten after him. We told you not to preach in the name of Jesus. And so they're before the council. And when they had called the apostles, that is the council, they beat them. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. How many of you guys have been beat up for the gospel recently? Huh. Rejoicing. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer, to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Just got beat up. And we're rejoicing. In 2 Corinthians 7:4, Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he says, I'm acting. With great boldness toward you, I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. So how do we explain pleasure in suffering? The pleasure is not in suffering itself. When Paul was being stoned at Lystra, he wasn't lying or saying, when the next stone hit, oh, that felt good. No. 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 He was suffering. He also says he suffered shipwreck three times. Was he saying, oh, man, that was a blast. I don't care how to get to the fourth one. No. That's not what the point is. 
The pleasure is not in the suffering. It's in the cause from which you are suffering. Suffering confirms the reality of the fall and our participation in it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Suffering reminds you of that. But then suffering also confirms our union with Christ. We are united with Christ in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. We're raised with Christ on the newness of life. Suffering is a big part of the gospel. You don't understand the gospel if you don't understand suffering. Romans, Romans chapter 8. If you care to turn there, verses 16 and there. I just said that suffering confirms our union with Christ. Paul says in Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now get this, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Your suffering identifies your union with Christ. If we're fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then next comes that eight verse, which is so well known. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. That 18th verse is commentary on what just went ahead previously. I reckon that the suffering, and the word Paul uses here is the word we use for logic. I reckon in other words, he says it's illogical to compare the sufferings of this life with the glory that is to come. You can't compare them. They're not com comparable. Our example of suffering is Christ himself. Now listen to this. This is, this is from Matthew 26. Jesus, this is just before the crucifixion. They're in the garden. And he says, in taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face praying, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Well, he comes back and he finds the apostles sleeping. Surprise, surprise. And he 
rebukes him for it. And then he goes again and said a second time he went away, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He comes back and they're sleeping again. He goes a third time and says the same thing. Three times Jesus prays for this cup. This cup was the cup of the wrath of God. To be taken away. Three times. And he says, but Father, not my will, but your will be done. You know what the answer was? chapter. Christ is on the cross. And just as he's at the point of death, what's he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did he get his answers to his prayers about if this cup be? No. No. God the Father said, no. I sent you here for a purpose. And that purpose was fulfilled. When he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And dies. Where was God? He was right there. God the Father was right there. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We have a tendency to think sometimes, where's God when bad things happen? Here's the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. A tragedy, it would seem. No, no it wasn't. Tragic in a sense, but no. This is what the Lord sent him here for. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So why do we suffer? We suffer because of the fall. We suffer because of the consequence of sin. We suffer because we're sinners. What delivers us from that, the gospel. The gospel is a gospel that proclaims suffering. Christ died for our sins, says Paul, according to the scriptures. Now, having said that, so why do we suffer? Is it just a consequence of sin? No, it's more than that. Suffering is a means of an instrument in the process of sanctification. In Romans 8.29, Paul says, For we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that conforming to the image of his Son is the process of sanctification that goes on within the believer through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. It's a process. 
So throughout your life as a Christian, you are in, the, in a process of the Holy Spirit conforming you to the image of the Son. Now, I've preached on this passage a bunch of times. And there's one little story. Ward Wearsby is a, you won't know who he is, I don't know him personally, but he was a Baptist minister up in the Midwest that pastor for years and years and years. Well, I think he's two, a couple years older than I am, so. Uh, but he was a pastor of Moody Church once upon a time and uh, Grand Rapids Baptist uh, Seminary, and so he's been around for quite a while. Many, many years of pastoral experience. And he's got a little book that's entitled When Life Falls Apart. Handy little book. Because it's talking about suffering. When life falls, falls apart. And he tells about this lady in the church who has a husband who is going blind and terminally ill. And then this lady herself comes down with a, a slight stroke, one bad enough to keep her from working anymore. So here's this partially disabled lady having to take care of a blind, terminally ill husband. They didn't have any children to look after them. And so Wiersbe says, as a good pastor, he says, I'm praying for you. And she says, well, for what are you praying? And so he goes through the usual pastoral stuff. Well, I'm praying for healing, for comfort, for encouragement, you know. He rattles off a bunch of things the pastor's supposed to rattle off when you, when you see a person in, in distress. She said, Pastor, pray that I won't waste all this suffering. She was on to something that Wernby said, you know, that hadn't occurred to me. Pastor, pray that I won't waste all this suffering. I hope that'll be your prayer because you're going to suffer. It's going to happen. Bad things are going to happen to good people. It's part of the fall. Well, how are you dispose? And this is not her now. This is me. What do you suppose she meant by pray that I won't waste all this suffering? Let let scripture interpret scripture. James 1, 2 to 4. Now, get these words. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Suffering 
is producing maturity in your Christian life. That the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then Romans 5, verses 3 and 5. We rejoice, in, he says, in the fact that we are justified by faith. That's how Romans starts off. First two verses. He's just announced, Paul has just announced in those two verses, we're justified by faith. In verse 3, he says, not only that, not only are we justified by faith, but we, here it comes, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You getting what he says? It's God's will for you to suffer. He's using it as a means of conforming you to the image of his son. And when you're in the midst of it, it may, not, it may not seem like it, but it's God's will. He's back there. Where's God? He's right there. And he, he brings something in our way and says, well, let it develop a little bit more here. Another passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Now, I'm aware, I could pass the mic here, that it gets louder. I asked for a lapel mic, and they got some contraction that would fit over your ear. You're up. I'll lose that before very long. So, usually I have what it clips right here, and I have a little thing I can turn that off, because you don't want to hear me sing. So I clip it off, but... They didn't have that kind, so we have to make do. So, forget. Excuse me. First Peter. First Peter, chapter one. We're going to read four verses here. They're filled with things that we need to digest. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for us. Wow. You, that's verse 4, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Obvious reference to the second coming. We're talking about suffering. There's going to come a day. It won't be no anymore. It'll be gone. 
come a day it's going to happen. It'll all be gone. And that's what he's talking about here. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Yes, we do. Now, though now for a little while, if necessary. Now, I don't think that was a conditional thing. I think he's saying it is necessary. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That's suffering. That's what he's talking about. Suffering. Stuff falls into your life. That it changes your life. I don't know anything about the family. But I saw in the, in the news this family's out camping. Then a tree falls on the campground and kills her nine-year-old girl. That's suffering. That hurts. Why? I had nothing. I said, I don't know the family with it. But that's what I mean about suffering. It comes in all kinds of shapes and forms at times you can't expect, at times you can anticipate. So, if necessary, you have been grieved in various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, here it is, your faith in your trials, put those together. You're going through a trial, Where's your faith? How's your faith? How strong? The genuity of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. What's that fire? It's the sufferings. Your faith is being put to the test, and it's being refined. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory and at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Suffering puts you through the refiner's fire. It's burning off all the impurities. And that hurts. But it's necessary. And Christ was our example. Hebrews 5, verses 7 and 9. In the days of his flesh, this is an interesting passage. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. We just read about that in Matthew. Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. So he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Did God hear the prayer? Father, let the cup pass him. Sure, of course he did. What happened? My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? 
And so God heard his prayers. But here, although he, Jesus, were a son, learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all those who obey. So how do we end this? I thought about, you know, what's a good order to kind of bring this to a conclusion? Romans 8. 8, verses 35 to 39. Familiar passage. Great passage. Powerful passage. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You know what all that is? It's life in a fallen world. You're not spared that because you're a Christian. No, you got to go through it like everybody else. Only the outcome is different. For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And you know who, who comes to my mind when I read that? John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner sent to proclaim the coming of the Christ. And when you read through the Gospels next time, pay attention to what the Lord says about John the Baptist. Whatever became of him anyway? You remember? Yeah. At the whim of a frustrated woman, he lost his head. Now, why this reminds me of John the Baptist? So John is going to be executed. That is. Where was God? He was right there. Because this is what God had sent John here to do. And John completed his task. And guess what the executor asked him? To convey him into glory. Was it tragic? From an earthly perspective, yeah. It was God's way of taking John home to glory. God has a use for his martyrs. Whatever happened to the others? James was killed by Herod and others. So we're being killed all the day long. We regard the sheep as to be slaughtered. And then says Paul, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We didn't just conquer. We're more than conquerors. And the imagery here is a triumphal victory parade. We didn't just win. 
And, and the word that's used here is got hyper. It was a hyper victory. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When the existential moment hits you, realize. It may seem like the end of the world, but it's not. And then in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. This kind of fits neat with, this is not the way the scripture put it, but this, this is the way I put it. You, you, you read that in, in Romans 8, then you go to 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, so then we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. In other words, we're dying. And some of us are closer than the, than the Others, our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. You know what that is? That's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit conforming you to the image of his son right up till the end of your days. So our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day for this momentary light affliction John the Baptist suffered a very momentary light affliction it was done this momentary light affliction. If you know what these light afflictions are, you go back to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul talks about the shipwrecks, the, the uh, beatings, the stoning. And he says this momentary light affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Wow. As we look not to the things that are seen, what's seen are your sufferings. What this is all about is looking beyond that to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Brothers and sisters, in this life, in your sufferings, practice this, looking beyond what is, the existential moment 
and what is to come. Okay. Guess what? Back to 2 Corinthians 12. Paul had received, he talks about in the early part of chapter 12, how that an old man, when he talks about himself, who was taken up into the third heaven, unto paradise, which is heaven. And things are revealed to him that he can't tell. Paul received special revelation about what is to come, what heaven's like. Now, Paul, you go back and preach about it, but there's some things you can't tell. So with that background, in, in the background, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. In other words, it was there for a purpose. Paul was suffering for a purpose, and it was the will of God that he was suffering. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times, Lord, take this suffering, this thorn of flesh away. Seems like Jesus played pretty three times, too. And you know what? Paul gets the same answer that Jesus got. What's the Lord say to him? But he, the Lord, said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When you're suffering and you're down and you pray, Lord, get me out of this. Well, the Lord's will will be done. We pray that every time we say the Lord's Prayer. Take comfort, encouragement in the fact that His will is being done. My grace is sufficient for you. And when you're the weakness, Paul says, when I'm the weakest, most dependent upon God, then I'm strong. Guess what's next? Guess what's next? For the sake of Christ, then, I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know what the prayer is here to end this? This is the prayer. This is the ending prayer. 
Pastor, pray, I've been waiting.